This week on Hannibal, Richard Armitage joins the family, and we try to debate which is weirder, Dollarhide's dragon yoga or the fact that Hannibal inexplicably still has cooking privileges. This is a matter of taste. We're like babes in the wild. <laughs> or does in the landscape of the mind. It's going to be so subversive. They're going to love it. <laughs> so dark. <laughs> <laughs> she was like a sad cat. I'm sorry, but I want to be able to see out of my knuckle hair. You, you've opened my eyes. <laughs> we are a hive mind. We are one. Hey, little nep, it's his. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's upsetting. Say the word. You know the word. <laughs> it's wackadoo. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Matter of Taste. My name is Fio. I'm uh, joined this evening with, by Ian. Hello. And uh, we are here to discuss episode 8 of season 3 of Hannibal, The Great Red Dragon. So, um, what, what you were saying right before we, uh, right before we started the podcast, we should probably just jump right in. What, what are your questions? What, which of the many, many fucking questions that we all obviously have about Hannibal's incarceration did you want to address first? Well, well, it sort of stems off of something I was thinking just before, uh, just before we started the podcast, and I was thinking about the fact that okay, it, I love the fact that I love the fact that Alana runs the institution now, and it's not Chilton because, especially considering what's happened in the past few seasons, there's no way they would let him have complete control anymore. Um, but then I started to take that a step further, and I started coming up with this headcanon that the only reason Alana keeps Chilton around, and the only and now dovetailing off of what you said, dovetail, write it down on your bingo card. Um, since it, the the possibly the reason why he get why Hannibal gets any sort of cooking privileges is just because it amuses Alana to see Hannibal just troll the hell out of Chilton. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. Um, we don't really know what's up with Alana though, because we get we get like a two brief scenes with her pretty much. Mm-hmm. But like, what what's her current situation? Like, is she still with Margot? Do they have access to the Verger money? Like, what what's the whole? We don't really know what the whole situation is there. Yeah, we don't know we don't know what her relation if she's still with Margot or any of that sort of thing. But I did like the fact that. We started off that one scene with Chilton in his typical position, and then Alana comes in, and she's just like, you're in my seat. <laughs> yeah, get out of my chair. That was pretty fantastic. Chilton's basically, like, completely neutered at this point. Yes. <laughs> the guy's got, like, nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's hilarious. Yeah. I did find it really amusing that he was he was being set up as like this guy earlier in the season who's going around and trying to like build these allies against <laughs> Hannibal and then had absolutely nothing to do with it after oh yeah that. <laughs> it was just like basically useless yeah everyone's just like fuck off chilton we got this 
Um, I, I, I loved the, okay, so first of all, where do, where do I want to start? So many thoughts about this episode. Um, I kind of love the fact that we spent so much of the episode, uh, th- there was so much episode before we even got a mention of Will. Yeah. That I thought was a very, a very smart choice. And the, the whole pre-credit scene was just dollar hide. No dialogue or anything, but just Richard Armitage emoting <laughs> and uh, showing off his body. <laughs> this is true. I mean, Dollar Hide, Richard Armitage could probably be a hell of a mime. Because he, uh, <laughs> he, he really sold a lot of the emotion in this episode with just zero dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah, he didn't have any spoken line. Like, there's one line, I think, where he was, like, sort of almost saying something. Like, maybe when he was looking into the mirror. But he didn't, yeah, he, he didn't have any actual lines of dialogue in this episode. Yeah, actually, the first time through, I didn't even catch that. Um, but I think I was reading, it might have been a post on Tumblr that talked about how his line in the mirror is basically him working on his, uh, working on his speech impediment. Ah, it's like a common phrase they use to try and uh, to try and help like people with speech impediments correct their uh, correct their speaking. Ah, and it's not he thrusts his fist against the post, but still insists he sees the ghost. <laughs> correct? It's not that one. Because um, that is just torture <laughs> for even for people that don't have speech impediments. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, I think that that one's the most famous. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, just Richard Armitage. I, I can give him nothing but praise this episode, and on so many different levels. <laughs> he's he's definitely committed to the role. Yeah, I mean the dude does a hell of a job. But. You know, it's it's amazing the caliber of actors that this show constantly seems to get on it. Yeah. Like, like really, <laughs> there haven't been any duds, really. Um, but I guess talking about Dollar Heights portrayal, um, one of the scenes that was just I friggin' loved was when he's watching the the movie, the home movies, and mm-hmm. he looks into the camera and sees, like, the film melting and stuff, and then he has that, the what uh, Aaron Abrams called, uh, after you watch too much Netflix, <laughs> look. Yeah. That was a really cool effect. Yeah, it was, and I also, like, didn't see that coming at all. Oh, like, no. That came out of nowhere. Yeah, I was, like, there were so many times throughout the episode... Where, like, he's staring at his fingers, or we see him half-naked, and, like, I was expecting to see some sort of uh, enhancements, uh, CGI-wise, like, with dragon prosthetics or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, that one was really the only one, and that came out... Of, yeah, that took me completely by surprise. And it was very, very striking. Yeah, now it is interesting, and it came, like, entirely out of left field. Um, yeah, Dollarhide is just is pretty much the highlight of this episode. Everything, 
Richard Armitage does. He's like he he, ha- he gives such a like engrossing performance over the course of this episode. It's really hard to not watch him. Yeah. Yeah. Ending well, no, that wasn't the last time we saw him, I guess. But that was a early in the episode, I guess. If I'm reading this Wikipedia summary right, when we see him underneath the moon, just covered in blood. I was watching that with my dad, and he's just like, "What's going? On? What's he doing out there? What the hell is he doing out there?" And then it turns, and you see the blood all over him, and he's just like, "Oh." <laughs> Um, oh, I, where do we want to go next? Because there's so many things we talk about. We could talk more about Hannibal in his cell. Um, which, he, he has a much nicer cell than he did in any of the movies. He has a much nicer cell than I have had an apartment. Yeah, I saw you mention that. <laughs> I remember seeing, like, some of the photos that were leaked from this episode and seeing that, like, that traditional style back wall to his cell, and I was like, is that part of his mind palace that's sort of just bleeding into the real world? And it's just like, it seems to be, no, that's just his cell. (laughs) Which is kind of incredible. Yeah, no, it it really is. (laughs) His cell is pretty awesome. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> he has more space than Loki did in Thor: The Dark World. Yeah, no, he definitely. And Loki was royalty. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's any sort of justification for that. Like, like why his cell would be that size? Yeah, I, I mean. Uh... It may have something to do with Chilton and the fact that Chilton, like, even though uh, Alana may be head of things, Chilton may have some sort of control, and so he, to increase the mystique of having the world's most notorious serial killer under his roof, you know Chilton still thinks of it as his roof, um, Mm -hmm. he gave him a really elaborate cell. (laughs) Yeah. The whole scene with Alana at the beginning of this episode, between Alana and uh, Lecter, that was really interesting because there was a they brought back that line from last episode where Hannibal says, "I always keep my promises," mm-hmm. and uh, she mentions that he promised to kill her, and uh, I found that very curious, and I'm also it. It started to make me wonder, in terms of broad strokes for the rest of the season, if they're setting us up for Alana's death. I mean, it's possible. You definitely get the impression, um, at least from this episode, from what we've seen, that uh, Hannibal can get out whenever he wants. And he's basically just choosing to stay there because he wants Will to know where he is. But I, I, I mean, I at least got the impression that he wasn't really, like, he wasn't being held there against his will, yeah. you know? Like, he can basically get out at any point he wants. Maybe it's because of, like, all the lavish furnishings and all the privileges that he seems to have, but... Mm-hmm. Well, like, they gave some details about what happened with his incarceration and everything, but I, cu- I can't remember, I only watched the episode once, so I can't remember specifically 
because he he did the insanity plea, which he gained. But then he had some line this episode about, or Alana had some line about how Hannibal was planning on challenging Chilton's assessment of him, or something like that. Mm-hmm. What, am, what am I remembering? Is am I remembering that correctly? I'm not sure. Go. So uh, the, I'm trying to figure out is was she saying that Hannibal's going to try and challenge the whole insanity thing, even though that's the reason he's still alive? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Hannibal clearly—I I don't think so, because Hannibal clearly doesn't believe he's insane. Yeah. But like, it was his—it would have had to be his defense attorney or what have you that like tried to work out that plea bargain. Mm-hmm. So if he didn't want an insanity plea, it's not like you can force one of those on somebody, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, and I'm obviously I'm not ta- speaking from a place of experience. I'm just trying to get through this, but it doesn't seem like <clears throat> if he didn't want an insanity plea, it never would have made it to the point that the um, judge would have to consider it. Yeah. If, if but- I'm at least, like pacing things or if my timeline yeah correct. part of me is wondering if it's sort of like an able gideon situation where he wanted one thing but now he wants something different mm-hmm. i don't know yeah I, I i again i'm don't know if i'm remembering those lines of dialogue correctly so i I, I may have to watch the episode again to actually come up with some sort of theory about what's going on but Whatever that was, it it seems to indicate that there's going to be more... That, that seems to, like it's the start of a subplot this season. Something to do with Hannibal and Chilton and Alana and uh, Hannibal's... Insta- the, just the logistics of his, uh, his being institutionalized. Mm-hmm. Besides that... Trying to think if there's any other dollar hide scenes that I wanted to talk about. Um, I guess moving away from dollar hide and and uh, Chilton and Nalana and that whole thing, we see Will in uh, a new house, not in Florida. Which, yeah, considering the aesthetic of this show, it, it his current residence makes a little bit more sense. Mm. Um, I like I like this Molly. Yeah. No, I I dug her performance. I think the way that we haven't seen like a whole lot of her, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, from what we've seen, it seems like she fits this will, like she fits in this universe. Yeah. And uh, I don't, I don't think it was Bonarina of my skull who wrote it, but I think she reblogged a post that analyzed Molly's actions this episode and her relationship with Will and what we can divine based on what we saw this episode about their relationship. And it, it was a really well thought out one. I'll see if I can find it so that we can link to it in the episode post. Mm-hmm. But it was basically just talking about like the fact that Will uh, is. Will has it, it trusts her enough to leave her with Jack when uh, he goes to walk the dogs with their 
We, did we get a name for the son? Um, I think he said Walter. Oh. That, that's I, a, that seems I like a pretty good that, compromise. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, they, the, this person in this post was just sort of talking about how it's sort of like that shows that, okay, Will knows that he, that Molly needs to come to her own decision about this thing, and so he's going to leave her with Jack so that Jack can do his thing, and uh, Molly can come to her own conclusions. Uh, but yeah, I, I really liked Molly this episode, and I, I think, again, it I, it probably helps that Nina Arianda and Hugh Dancy, I almost called him Will Graham, uh, already have a rapport from the stage and everything. I'm just looking at some of these gifs and stuff. Mm. Yeah. And the thing is, like, she talks about how it might sour this place for you if you don't do something about it. And it, from a, a completely... Uh, from not taking into account any of the stuff that we know as viewers of the movies or readers of the books, it's completely logical what she's saying. It makes total sense, and it's nice to see her being supportive of him going and stuff. Knowing what's going to happen, I'm just like, oh. There's this, that, that was one of the things that I really felt this whole episode was that, and it may just be because we do, like, you and I do know so much about what may happen because we've seen this story several times before in movies and books. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it added this whole weight of inevitability to everything happening, and I feel like that's going to carry throughout the whole rest of the season, where it's just like, as we see things happen, it, there's going to be, for me at least, there's going to be part of me that's like, Oh, I know this makes sense at the moment, but no. <laughs> oh man, the burden of knowledge. It's uh, it's definitely something. Now, I don't think we well, we definitely didn't get it confirmed in in the episode, but just speaking with like meta knowledge, do we know like Will and Molly are married at this point, right? Uh, I believe so. Because I saw a lot of posts referring to her as Will's girlfriend, but I was like, I don't think... I, I'm pretty sure they're married. Like, she lives in his house with a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, that's just... With her, like, her son, that seems like it would be a married thing. Yeah. Like, they they seem to have, like, solidified their relationship to that point. Well, I was just... Yeah, I was just curious. And and even speaking from a meta point of view, it doesn't make sense for them to change a detail like that. Um, yeah. For the TV series, it, it I don't think that would add or take away anything really. Um so it just it just seems like there there's no reason to do it. Um But yeah, the Walter if if that is his if that is his real name, uh, I, I, I think they aged him. Spoiler alert, Walter's the big bad of this season. <laughs> we don't even, we just, we didn't even know. We didn't even know. They said he yeah, was it, 11 or 12, right? And in the book he was younger, I think. Yeah, 
I'm pretty sure he's he's really young in the book, but I think they said eleven. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and we haven't seen a lot of him, but he, he seemed to get the kid they got playing him seems fine as an actor. Yeah, no, he seems alright. I mean, like you said, we we haven't really seen a lot of them, but I uh, I didn't have any like complaints or anything like that. Oh, I'm just scrolling through Bone Arena of my skulls Tumblr and seeing gifs and stuff and <laughs> like that moment from last episode where uh Hannibal looks at Will and then Will looks at Jack and Jack's got this grin on his face like we caught Hannibal Lecter, but they captioned it with I totally ship you guys. <laughs> <laughs> There's a man and a stag and a girl and a horse and a baby and a pig. I don't know what's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw a post from Mads the other day. Uh, well, not a post from him, but, like, it was just a line from him where he was like, there was a point during season two where I was re- reading a script, and they pulled a woman out of a horse and uh, birds out of her heart, and they were all alive. And I looked at Brian, and I was like, you have to stop smoking. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty amazing so Hannibal's letter his words said don't come his uh, very obvious placement of the article in the envelope said yes (laughs) come (laughs) go do that thing Hopefully it breaks you and you have to come talk to me again. (laughs) Well, they said, like, Will hasn't gone to see Hannibal. Uh, From what we've heard from Fuller, Will hasn't gone to see see Hannibal in those three years, and Hannibal is not happy about that. (laughs) Oh, I can't imagine he would be. (laughs) Yeah, I... Hannibal... I I, I, should have known that they were going to end this episode on the... Hello, Dr. Lecter moment. Um, Just looking at my notes. I I took very few notes this episode, but the ones that I have left are such big picture things, and we're only like halfway through the podcast episode. Yeah. Um, But I guess we could talk about one of them. I just have written down here, Will is the prototypical standoffish genius. Which is something that I think we've talked about. We may have talked about this in like one of the first episodes of the podcast mm-hmm. about the fact that Will Graham, the character from the novel and from Manhunter, you could trace him back to be the beginning of these sort of these uh, detectives or uh, FBI agents or whatever characters that are really intelligent, tend to have social disorders and uh, get the job done because of their social disorder or something like that. Um, And uh, again, uh, there were points this season, well, points early this season, where I had forgotten how uh, much of uh, an awkward person or how much, uh, how antisocial that will can be sometimes. And it made me realize today that just like, 
at least half of Will Graham's likability on this TV show is just because Hugh Dancy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and th- that's that's the best way I can put it. It's just... And again, and also, I was thinking about it, and it's such a testament to Hugh Dancy's abilities in act- as an actor and uh, the fact that people then didn't... didn't uh, Nobody besides the guy who directed King Arthur, I guess, really gave him a chance. But at no point in this TV series have I ever thought, oh, this guy playing Will Graham, he's just sort of like a guy who does romantic comedies and is trying to do drama. At no point has that ever crossed my mind. But when you look at Hugh Dancy's, uh, his, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The movie, when you look at the movies he's been in, he tends to be the, he has tended to be the love interest in romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, uh, like, the fact that he can, like, I don't know anyone who was already familiar, familiar with his repertoire, I guess, probably, if they followed him to the series, was just like, whoa, wasn't expecting this at all. I don't know. I just, for some reason, I feel like gushing all over Hugh Dancy this episode. Well, I mean, they've they've sort of done that with a lot of the actors on this show. Casting against type, I suppose, is the phrase. Yeah, where you have, like, Catherine Isabel, too, um, did mostly comedies Mm. before this. Or, like, small roles and other stuff. Well, and she did Ginger Snaps. Yeah. Uh, but her character, I haven't seen Ginger Snaps, but her character in Ginger Snaps is sort of a very, if I remember correctly from what Little Ice did see of it, she's sort of a very, like, rough and tumble character, whereas Margot is part of this essentially royal family of industry. And so it, they are sort of, to me, they seem to be on uh, opposite sides of a certain spectrum. Yeah, no, Margot is definitely sort of cut from that aristocratic cloth. And it is a very, very different character. Um, well, and like Caroline DeVernis, uh, she was in Wonderfalls, and she was definitely not playing a character like Alana, as far as I can tell. Right. Well, yeah, she came along with Brian Fuller, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and the same with, like, Scott Thompson, who mm-hmm. is, like, one of the kids in the hall and did mostly comedic roles yeah. um, before this. Although his role in this is... Uh, Pretty comedic. Yeah, we it's had essentially the Hannibal version of uh, comic relief. Yeah, we we had a, a little Price and Zeller moment this episode. That was nice. I also like the fact that when Will shows up at uh, the BAU, is that the name of it? Yeah, something like that. Uh. uh Price is the one who's like, oh, I, I I wasn't expecting you to be here, and Zeller is the one to say, welcome back, which is so so much of a flip-flop. Well, I don't know if it's so much of a flip-flop or Price, but, like, Zeller for most of the first season and most of the second season, and half of the second season, was just not taking any of Will's... Uh, taking any of what Will was selling with his... Mm-hmm abstract metaphors and his intense looks and uh, speaking and stuff. So It's it, okay, you can say smoldering. Smoldering. <laughs> <laughs> his, his smoldering looks. <laughs> um, so it's nice to see that, like, they, there was that moment 
halfway through season two where Zeller apologized and that and I like the fact that this feels like a logical extension of that. And now he's like, Hey, I like Will. <laughs> it's nice to have you back. Even and I also like the fact that he his welcome back is very genuine, almost to the point of being naive. Where it's like I don't know if Zeller really understands how much of a an impact this could have on Will's psyche. <clears throat> yeah, this is true. This is a coming back into this world is a big step for Will. And yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if Zeller 100% understands the impact that it's going to have on him. Yeah. And I guess that sort of leads us into uh, Will's uh, assessment of the murder scene at the Leeds home. It was so good to see one of those again. Mm. <laughs> I, I can't tell if you were being sarcastic or not there, because, like, on the one hand, it's, it is it, it is cool to bring the murder tableau stuff back, but that was really, mm-hmm. really, and rightly so, disturbing. <laughs> No, it was very disturbing, but I just think, like, Hugh Dancy kills it in this. Oh, my no, no pun intended. <laughs> like, he, uh, I, I love the Scott Thompson post where he goes into, like, all of the stuff that Hugh Dancy has to do in these scenes yes. and how, like, how he makes it. It's it's very pre- prevalent in, like, every single thing he does and then sums it up with just basically fuck Hugh Dancy is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is pretty awesome. Yeah, just the the passage of emotions over his face right before he does the pendulum thing, it was so, so frigging compelling. Because he's like, he's like, oh crap, I'm going to have to do it, aren't I? Oh no, oh no, I got to do it though, I got to help these people. <laughs> I'm going to have to metronome this shit. <laughs> but no, really, like, I, I do... I do um, sincerely mean it's really good to see this scene again, mainly because I can divorce my care for Will's well-being from my enjoyment of the show. Yes. <laughs> yes, very true. Um, and yeah, they did so many... Again, I say cool in terms of the aesthetic and stuff. So many cool things with the way that they portrayed that scene. Like, and... It, the the way that like the way that they did the whole stuff with the flashlight before he did the pendulum, that was so wild. How he would shine his flashlight on certain parts of the room, and you would see the dead bodies within the beam of the light. That was so friggin' well done. Yeah, no, that was really cool. And I think everyone's been everyone has said something about the the red strings becoming wings behind Will. That's just uh, so many friggin' striking images in uh, this episode. And the way that they filmed it, it's, it's, it's back to the murder tableau formula, but it, it's filmed in such a much more dramatic way, I think, in a way that has much more of an impact, I think, than the, the previous murder tableaus that we've seen on the show. And again, rightly so. And it, it there is something so much more viscerally brutal about the way that Dollar Hyde killed this family and the way that it's shown on the on in this episode. Mm-hmm. 
like this, uh, this, one of, one of the things that I wanted to bring up was that this very much felt like the beginning of a new series, uh, in all the right ways. I'm trying to figure out other ways to say, it, and rightly so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, at the same time, there, there are those moments of connection we can make back to the rest of the series, so it doesn't feel completely divorced from it. Like the fact that we've got the pendulum and the murder tableau, and we've got, uh, Hannibal trolling Chilton and stuff. <laughs> but it does feel like there was this passage of time. And uh, for me, at least, I also, between uh, last episode and this episode, uh, I, I had sort of my own journey that even further cemented that separation between the halves of the season, because I moved into my house, and uh, I didn't get to watch the episode until yesterday, Tuesday, mm -hmm. and so I had that added bit of space to really feel the impact of the three-year gap in the storyline. Yeah, I mean, even if they... Um, I can't remember if last year there was, like, a gap week where they didn't have an episode. Because um, I know some series do that. Uh, and I can't remember if there was, but even if they did that and had, like, a gap week where we didn't have an episode one week and brought us back the next week with the you know, the three years later thing. That would have been an interesting way to handle it. Yeah, I, I, they, I, I'm <clears throat> positive that they didn't do a gap week last year. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I know that earlier in this, like, I think it may have been our first our first episode this season, I wondered aloud if they were going to do a gap week like that. And it just makes me even more frustrated about the whole move to Saturday, because... If they had to move it to Saturday, couldn't they have waited a couple of weeks so that it had some, it fell in line with the Red Dragon storyline starting up? So that even though it, they moved it to a terrible time slot, it would at least feel like it kind of makes sense for the story? <laughs> yeah. But and they no. also moved it, they bumped it to Saturday really quick. Like, yeah. What was it? Like the, fifth episode or so? It, it was, was either some, the fifth or sixth episode. It was something ridiculously early in the season. We'll never be over it. <laughs> yeah, no. I will never get over. <laughs> add add this to the list of many things that I will never fucking get over. <laughs> that I'm just not going to drop ever. <laughs> Unless it gets picked up. But that... Every day is looking less and less likely. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't remember who it was, but I've had several conversations where, with people where it's just like, they they should have done it on like HBO or Stars or Showtime or something. Because doing it on NBC, it just, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem to have served them well. Like, because we can praise the standards and practices as much as we want for letting as much as they have through. But they wouldn't even have to worry. They wouldn't have even had to worry about that if this had been on a, like a pay-per-view channel or something. Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't have very obvious uh, butt crack blurring, and very obvious <laughs> and inexplicable butt crack blurring. I don't know how many times we have to say it or how many ways we can put it, but it makes there's such a cognitive, uh, such a feeling of cognitive dissonance 
when they can show uh, flayed meat wings, but not butt cracks. Yeah. It's like anyone who's watching the show is not going to be... Anyone who has gotten this far into the show is definitely not going to be disturbed by exposed butt crack. I don't mean to harp on this because it's not really that important in the long run, but it's just boggling. It's baffling. <laughs> I'm trying to think. <laughs> this thought just popped into my head of like, this is why weird shit like the pig happens. <laughs> it's Brian Fuller's inability to show anything remotely sexual manifesting in just weird shit. <laughs> That is an excellent theory, and oh, I well, love I it. I can't show Richard Armitage's butt crack. Might as well just date a fetus and a sow. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like I, but honestly, like that's not entirely true. Like, because no. um, the whole sex scene this season was actually very explicit while showing nothing. Yeah. Um, I think the AV Club referred to it as a twenty vagina salute. <laughs> <laughs> Which is accurate. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, wow. But yeah, Brian Fuller, I think... I, I, I honestly think the only things that would have changed in terms of a presentation between this it, on NBC and this being on a pay-per-view channel or a channel where they didn't have those sorts of restraints is... We wouldn't have blurred butt cracks, and we wouldn't, and we would probably have those added moments in the extended episode, unrated episodes on the DVD, like the moment where in uh in Kokia with the Angel Maker, uh, with Zeller picking up the uh the the parts. <laughs> oh yeah. Which was not, which I'm pretty sure that was the only thing, because I remember seeing the, like, there's that little special uncut edition or whatever, uh, I can't remember how they indicated it on the DVD, but there are certain episodes on the DVD where it's like, oh, there's more footage here than was shown on TV, and I'm pretty sure for that episode, it was just that moment. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think, well, that and, yeah, the, the, um, the unedited back shot of the wings. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do think those are the only two moments on that episode, or on that, uh, <clears throat> in that episode that are unedited. Oh, and the, speaking of that episode, the whole, uh, like, time-lapse thing of the wings splaying out and stuff, that never stops being disturbing, no matter how many times I watch that episode with new people and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's just always alarming. Isn't it, though? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I was talking about how this episode... Well, there... I, I sort of could relate to... Uh, well, me moving and stuff and the time gap between watching the episode uh, sort of solidified the, uh, the change in tone for the story. It also gave me another reason to relate to Will Graham. And... Uh, it got me, I think in a lot of ways this, this episode harkened back to, uh, uh, the first episode uh, of season one. I, I think that was aperitif. Mm -hmm. And I think that was definitely intentional because there's a lot of 
references to Red Dragon in that episode, and obviously this is the beginning of the Red Dragon storyline. Red Dragon is essentially the reason that this show exists, because Brian Fuller wanted to explore the Will Graham character. And uh, it reminded me of all the different ways that, like, I... <laughs> that I have related... And I've talked about it on the podcast before, that... For better or for worse, I do relate to Will in a lot of different ways. And the last note that I have written down here is just the... Because of that, the rest of this season is just going to fucking ruin me. Because <laughs> I'm just going to be like the whole time, no, but yes, but no. Because <laughs> I want to see the Red Dragon story play out and everything, but I'm just, I'm, I'm definitely too emotionally invested in this character. And I know what's going to happen, but it's not going to make it any easier. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a few predictions on some things that might change, things that I hope might change, but I don't know if I want to bring those up since we're in the thick of it now, and uh, I feel like we should be a little more careful with spoilers. Yeah, this is true. I may mention to them may mention some of it to you after the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I have to get it off my chest, man. Bare my soul. <laughs> I don't know, do you do you have any predictions without getting too spoilery, do you have any predictions for the rest of the season? I don't know if I have any predictions. I just really wanna because I the way Red Dragon ends mm -hmm. with Hannibal's actions there. I really want to see how they, if they're going to do that, how they bring it around to happening, you know? Yeah. I'm almost positive, just based on some comments that the actors have said in interviews, there's definitely going to be a, a remix mm -hmm. in a, in a traditional Brian Fuller fashion. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how things play out with all this context that doesn't exist in the book. I hope we do see Margot again. I hope she's with Alana. I hope they have a kid. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice for somebody to get out of this show reasonably happy. Yeah. Um. Of course, if they're setting us up for Alana's death, then that will make that just ten times more awful. <laughs> Oh my. Um. Let's see. Yeah, I don't think she's actually signed up for any more mm. uh, episodes this season. But what we do know is that we're going to get the re I I'm guessing the rest of uh, Bedelia's backstory, and I believe that. We did see in one of the previews that Will is going to go to Bedelia for a session, which makes sense and is a great way to bring that character back into the story. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested how it's going to play out if, if and when, because it's, it's got to happen at some point when uh, Will and Alana run back into each other and what sort of inter interactions they'll have. Yeah, that's bound to be interesting. 
I don't know. Like, we basically... <clears throat> all of last episode was just sort of, like, table setting, getting everything ready to start the Red Dragon story. So mm-hmm. once, you know, once that actually gets underway, it's going to be really interesting to see where these people are and how they interact. The, the thing that I find interesting is that Molly is really good for Will, obviously, <laughs> mm-hmm. because she has nothing to do with Hannibal, never met him, hasn't been broken by him. But there is, I, I'm guessing that there is a camaraderie that comes with uh, experiencing what Will and Alana and Jack and all the other people who are affected by Hannibal did. Yeah. So I, I think I'm interested in seeing that sort of relationship develop between Will and Alana. Not obviously not romantic because Will is married to another woman, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. but maybe a sense of camaraderie and the fact that because there was a time where I was. I think he even said this on the podcast where I was like, I don't know if Alana's even going to be able to look at Will ever again after Mitsumono. But since then, uh, I sort of, I'm sort of starting to fall more on the side of, no, there, there's only so many people you can talk about this sort of stuff with and they'll get it. And yeah. for these people, that's like Will and Alana, they, they, if one of them starts talking about how fucked up Hannibal is and stuff, then they get it. Will talks to Molly about that, and she can be very supportive and uh, uh, comforting about that, but she, she doesn't know the way that, like, Alana and Jack and even Zeller and Price, to a certain extent, do. Yeah. I mean, like, I, it, I think it's really... It's just Will, Alana, and Jack. Yeah. Because I'm trying to think, like, even, even like, Margot, like, understands how dangerous Hannibal is, but she was never targeted by him. No. Like, the way that Will, Alana, and Jack were. And that's... Or Chilton, I guess. Yeah. Chilton, too, actually. Yeah, um, Ch- Chilton can relate, but he cannot connect on, yeah. any, on any significant level. <laughs> no, this is true. <laughs> and the poor guy, even when he tries, he just gets shut down. Yeah. <laughs> I've literally felt your pain. Oh, oh no, you have mashing scars. <laughs> oh, Chilton, shut up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we were watching it last night. It was, I was watching it with my dad, and there's that moment where Molly's talking to Will on their bed, and she's and she's... She's basically saying, I'm okay with you going back if you feel like you are the only person who can do this and you have to do it. And it, there's this, they, they like cut to this close up of Will as he, as he's like turning to listen to her. And my dad just throws in the MST3K style. Yeah, it, do you realize how fucked up I am? <laughs> <laughs> I, I died. But yeah, she doesn't. <laughs> and it, when he says, uh, wh- like, I, so many moments this episode where my like my heart is breaking for him because like when he says, "When I come back, I'll be different," he's totally right. Yeah. I, and how do it, I? I wonder how much he's talked to her about Hannibal because how do you tell the person that you're married to that you love enough to marry that? Oh yeah. 
there's this guy who like evaluated me psychologically for the FBI, and then he turned out to be a serial killer, but I didn't know for a while, and then he kind of convinced me that being a killer might be kind of cool, and we it was really weird. I was having very confusing feelings, but uh, I, I, I survived. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I'm sure... I sailed a boat to Italy for him. <laughs> I'm sure he had to tell her something. Oh, yeah. Because, like, you know, it's not like that That wasn't exactly a low-profile case. Like, she had to know. But as far as telling her, like, how intimate his relationship with Hannibal was and how close he was to the absolute fucking edge, that that is pretty... It, like, I'm, I'm not sure how much of that he divulged. There was a moment in Manhunter that I actually really liked, and I don't know if it's from the book, but I don't think it happened in Red Dragon, because they... Well, because Red Dragon, that happened. Um, <laughs> the movie I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Um, but there was that moment in Manhunter where Will and... Uh, his son, who I think in that movie he was named Josh, or maybe that was in Red, in Red Dragon. Maybe he was Walter in that movie. I can't remember. Wasn't but, he Willie? Right. Well, he's Willie in the book, but I believe they've changed his name in all the adaptations because they didn't want people to get confused about Will and Willie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's that moment with Will and his son where they're essentially at the supermarket, and it's really, it's a very, it's almost like a Jonathan Demme-style naturalistic, organic moment that just sort of like everyday life where they're at the supermarket. It's it's pretty far into the movie, I think. And Will, I, I can't remember if his son asks him about what's going on or what, but Will sort of has this moment where he explains to his son that, yeah, I... I went through a really screwed up time and I was institutionalized for a while and I I can't remember exactly how the dialogue played out but there was something about that moment in Manhunter that I really really liked. It was a very human moment and it showed it showed a side to Will at least in that movie that I hadn't seen up until that point. Hmm. From I, what I, I'm I, from what I'm getting the son's name in Manhunter was Kevin. Kevin where do they come up with these names? I don't know. But uh, all that to say that I, I hope we get some nice moments between Will and uh, his son in the series. Yeah. that would be cool. That would be nice. <clears throat> it also seems like we're going to be getting, well, obviously because it's a TV series and they have the room to do it, we are going to get more of stuff beyond just Will's perspective, or even just Will and Hannibal's perspective, than we may have in previous adaptations. Yeah, in the movies we've basically just gotten Will's stuff and then Dollarhide's stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right. As two separate storylines. But, yeah, hopefully here we get a little more, you know, a, a little more of a nuanced idea of what everybody's doing. Yeah. I'm trying to remember how early, because I, I remember that watching Manhunter, we don't actually see Dollarhide until like halfway through the movie. And it, oh like, yeah, no, it takes a while. But I'm trying to remember, was it the same way in uh, Red Dragon? I'm uh, not positive. 
Yeah. No, I, it wasn't because I remember the first time we see Dollarhide, it's that really long, like, Tim Burton-y shot up to the driveway and we hear, like, the quotes from the grandmother in the background and stuff, and then it, it gets up to Ray Fiennes in the attic and everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that was earlier in the movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season plays out because there was there was such a weight to this episode that felt again it felt proper for introducing an actual plot line from the books <laughs> which we kind of got the Hannibal we at least got the Verger plot from Hannibal and we got the Italy plot from the book Hannibal um but they were introduced a little they they were woven into the storyline in a way where, whereas this is very much, uh, there's stuff before the Red Dragon storyline, and now there's going to be stuff after the Red Dragon storyline, and that's a very clear division. Mm-hmm. That's about all I have. I don't know if you have anything else. No, that's that's about all I've got. Alrighty then. Well, unless there's anything else. No, I think, uh, I think we're good. Um, so, we'll, uh, we'll see you guys on Saturday for the premiere of And the Woman Clothed with the Sun. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, good night. Good night. This has been A Matter of Taste. If you'd like to get in contact with us, Email us at a matter of taste podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at AOMOT Podcast. Find full episode posts at a matter of And follow us as a matter of taste podcast on Tumblr, Facebook, and iTunes. Thanks for listening. Yeah, this is